Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. One thing I wanted to ask Tim the lawyer is uh, he tweets a lot. How does he how does he keep up on all this or fi- find all the stuff on Twitter? So how much time does it take to peruse the Twitter? And I want to be one of those people, but I just I just can't seem to fit it into my life. Well, this job's a bit of a time suck too, but yeah. I'd imagine Tim's is as well. Tim Sandifer is the vice president for litigation for the Goldwater Institute. He is uh, the author of a number of fine, fine books, including The Ascent to Jacob Bronowski, Frederick Douglass, Self-Made Man, which should be read by every man, woman, and child in America, and a bunch of books about uh, liberty, particularly economic liberty. Um, you ought to look it up and, and read two or three of them. Uh, Tim Sandifer joins us. Tim, how are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. It's been a while. Hey, can I can I ask one just general question? Then we'll get into some of the nitty gritty. Yeah. Uh, uh, Supreme Court just wrapped up their year. You more or less happy with the direction that the Supreme Court's going, or more or less not happy? I'm more or less happy, but cool. you know the big story to me that is fr- uh, that is not covered enough is how frustrating it is that the Supreme Court hears fewer and fewer cases every year. It's as if they're trying to put themselves out of business. And they'll, they'll take these cases that on highly technical legal issues that maybe a few people care about and then totally ignore major legal controversies that have to be resolved. And, of course, when they don't take the case, that just means that the lower courts get to be the final say. Yeah. And that just increases the confusion. It's very frustrating how few cases they take. Do you have a couple of examples of lower cases you think they should have taken up, big, big issues? Well, Justice Thomas has actually been writing some decisions saying, hey, we should take these cases, cases about whether, for instance, it's legal, what the status is of federal regulation of marijuana now that it is uh, is legal in more states than not, and yet the federal law hasn't changed. Does that mean that it violates due process to arrest somebody on federal charges in a state where it's legal? Things like that. And the court just shrugs and moves on. 
I know Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, is concerned with the court's image and and that it not be seen as political. The rest of it is he just over cautious? Is he leading the court in a hyper cautious direction in terms of the cases they take on? I think that is part of it. It's a kind of a politics, but it's not the kind of politics we're accustomed to. It's judicial politics. And what's frustrating about that is that it it tends to come out as very arbitrary, and it tends to increase the power of judges. My favorite example of this is a a case several years ago called Bond versus the United States, where there was a chemical weapons treaty that prohibited any kind of poisonous substance. And this woman tried to poison her husband's girlfriend with a poisonous substance and was brought up on charges under, of of all things, the Chemical Weapons Treaty, which is crazy. But that is what the law said. And what Justice uh, Roberts did was he said, well, that's not what they really meant by chemical poisons. What they really meant was stuff like mustard gas. Well, okay, maybe. But that's not what they said in the law. So what he's doing is essentially rewriting the law to suit what he thinks would have been a more reasonable law, except that's not what was actually enacted. That's very frustrating. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Interesting indeed. So I know, uh, and, I, and I absolutely want to get to the so-called antitrust stuff that the administration put out the other day. I saw you had some really strong tweets on it. Uh, but I know you've got a couple of victories recently in a couple of different circuit courts, right? What was that, that all about? That's right. We had three big wins in this issue that we at the Goldwater Institute have been litigating about state laws that force lawyers to join bar associations to practice law. Now, the bar association is not the same thing as the bar exam. Everybody has to take the bar exam. But once you pass that, then I am forced in some states, including Arizona, I'm forced to join this organization, which is really just a trade association, and to pay them three, four, five hundred $500 a year, which they then go and spend on lobbying the government and publishing editorials that take a political position that I myself might disagree with. And this happens in states across the country. And the Supreme court has said you can't do that when it comes to labor unions. You can't force somebody to join a union and then force them to pay for the lobbying that that union does, and yet it's okay for lawyers. So we've taken this issue on, and we won a, a series of cases, most recently in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, where the court said, yes, you cannot, it is unconstitutional to force this on lawyers. And you know, now when people hear about this, a lot of times they're like, why, why should I care about lawyers? But state bars have a very powerful influence with state legislatures. And a lot of legislatures, they just assume that the state bar speaks for all lawyers and they defer to them. And a lot of the time, the state bar funds political campaigns that that are on the opposite side. I did a case a few years ago where my client was in favor of a ballot, and he was a lawyer, He's in favor of a ballot initiative that was um, like it was like no fault um, uh, custody for children in the case that, of divorce, right? So that there is no presumption for one side, of, one parent or the other. And it turned out that his mandatory bar dues were funding the no campaign, even though he was in favor of it. In fact, the bar was the was the largest contributor to the no campaign. So he's being forced to fund his own opposition. That's uncomfortable. Does the state bar tend to have a consistent uh, ish uh, political view? Oh, they tend to be on the far left uh, in most states most of the time, taking positions on, you know, against in Louisiana, for instance, another case we did in Louisiana, the state bar spent money to oppose free enterprise education in the schools, because I guess we can't teach kids about free enterprise. Wow. 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 You've mentioned before that the law schools of America are way left these days. What happened, do you suppose? 
you know, people who are not lawyers have no idea how bad the situation is. The, the, the bar is overwhelmingly left, and not just left, but like very far ultra left. And I think a, a large part of it is romanticism from the 60s. A lot of the legal community still has this idea about the civil rights days, and they think that they're crusading pioneers for freedom. And, you know, those are that is a glorious history. Unfortunately, today that's not what they're advocating. Today what they're advocating is taking more of your earnings away and giving it to other people, opposing rational sentencing policies, opposing restrictions on government's power to take away your private property, things like that. It's, a, it's really an unfortunate situation. Hey, I have one more question, and then maybe next segment we can get to the whole so-called antitrust stuff. But uh, yeah. and this is this is kind of like uh, the opposite of the Supreme Court. This is dumb guy court. I'm gonna I'm going to set up the case dumbly, <laughs> and then we're gonna have to dumb down the answer probably. But it's it's a First Amendment thing. Um, it's it's the big tech. Uh, censoring of so-called misinformation, etc., deplatforming people, banning people, and the question is, if Facebook says we just ban you if you violate the government's regulations on what is COVID misinformation, and we are actively consulting with the government on what should be banned. And the government has regulatory power over us and regularly threatens our business model. Does that bother you, Tim, as a libertarian? Well, I'll whip out the classic lawyer answer and say it depends. Uh, it depends on how much government influence you're talking about. If it's a situation where Facebook is basically having its arm twisted by the government in order to silence people, yeah, of course that raises a serious uh, constitutional problem. Government can't just come in and, and basically take over a newspaper and tell them what kind of articles they can and cannot run. But that's not been what we normally see. What we normally see is situations where the, the business is authentically, independently saying, we're not going to run this kind of article or that kind of article. And maybe the government encourages them one way or the other, and that doesn't raise a, a First Amendment violation. Well, in this case, the uh, the people from Facebook said they are in uh, in in constant consultation with the government agencies about what should be allowed and what shouldn't be. That that seems to me just farming out First Amendment violations once removed. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on what exactly they're meaning by consultation. If it's just consultation, that would be one thing. Or, if, but if they're using that as a euphemism for obeying government's mandates, then that would be a serious problem. I'm thinking about, uh, so you mentioned law schools have gone way left, and um, you know there's all kinds of examples out there. Facebook's left. What is that law or theorem or axiom or whatever it is that uh, everything ends up liberal over time? <laughs> yeah, right. There is. Oh, I can't remember the name of it now, but I could look it up. But there's there's a, a rule that, uh, that says uh, any organization that is not expressly conservative will become liberal over time. That, and and my experience is that that is absolutely true. It definitely seems to be the case, doesn't it? Well, I think it's because liberals tend to be much more committed to their ideological vision, whereas conservatives tend to want to let people live their own lives. Yeah, if your if your if your ideology is, I want to be completely left alone to do what I want, and I want, and to, I leave, want to leave you alone, and I want yeah. to leave other people alone. Of course, you're not quite as into trying to change things. So our uh, beloved ancient president unleashed a gigantic, sprawling executive order on Friday. It contains 72 separate initiatives, each of which contains several sub-initiatives, uh, allegedly challenging the, the face of competition in America or something or other. What is it and what would you make of it? 
Oh yeah. Well, a lot of it is is it, like with most executive orders, it's lots of fireworks with not much fire. Uh, so most of it is stuff that either is just you know we encourage agencies to do the following that sort of thing, or it's stuff that actually they can't do to begin with. And it, you're right, it includes 72 different sections. It's very long and complicated, and it includes some really good stuff. Let's start out with the good stuff. It's it it includes some things that reduce anti free market things that the federal government does. For instance, it says the FDA has to allow more drug imports from Canada that currently are not allowed by government restriction. It, it requires the Department of Health and Services to allow the sale of hearing aids over the counter instead of through the complicated process that regulations currently require. Those sorts of things are good. And actually, Joe, I know you'll particularly like this. It tells the FTC to take action against unnecessary occupational licensing laws, right? These are laws that say if you want to braid somebody's hair, you have to get a barber license and things like that. So it, those things are really good. Reducing government's restrictions on free competition is always a good thing. Now, here's the problem. The FTC doesn't really have any power over occupational licensing. I mean, that's mostly done by state law, and the FTC can't come in there and tell states what to do. It can sue states, but most of the time the law allows states to do this, so the FTC couldn't really even sue them in most cases. So a lot of that is, you know, it sends a nice message, but it doesn't really do anything. So my sink is clogged, and I ordered my dog to do something about it. Well, fabulous. <laughs> right. It's that sort of thing, yeah. No, and, and it also includes some bad things. And the, the bad things are um, really sort of doubling down on the problems of all antitrust law. The problem with antitrust law is that it takes what is a good idea, which is that, that there should be a free market with lots of competition, and then it turns, it turns it completely upside down and says government should be in charge of deciding what kind of competition occurs, when, where, and how. And, of course, that's the opposite of competition, to have the government in charge of deciding what kind of competition is allowed. And so, the, for example, this order says that the FTC should promulgate rules that restrict unfair competition. Well, what is unfair competition? It's whatever a politician says it is, right? If I'm selling less than the guy next door, he thinks that's unfair, so he's going to run off to the politician and complain about it, right? The, the order tells the FTC to, in, to, to engage in greater scrutiny of mergers between uh, multiple companies. Well, companies merge when it's, in their pro when it's profitable to do so. Why is it profitable do, to do so? These consumers willingly buy the goods and services that these companies provide. And if a company gets big and powerful because it's providing me with goods and services that I want at prices I'm willing to pay, that's a good thing. They shouldn't be punished for it. The idea that government should go in there and punish big companies for being big means punishing success. And that's a large part of what the Biden administration's antitrust policy is about. So you're all about freedom and that sort of stuff. Uh, now that we're almost a able to say we're on the other side of this freaking pandemic, were you as shocked as us at how much freedom was taken away and how easily people... Uh, just said oh, okay to it, whether it was schools or businesses or churches or whatever. I was shocked. I never thought that could happen. At how willingly people were yeah. to go along with it. Well, you know, part of it is this was a, a, a complicated problem for those of us who believe in freedom because we agree that government has some role to play in protecting people from disasters of this kind. And so it's not the sort of thing like you often hear where the government's doing something that it should absolutely never do at all. This was a thing where there were some things that were okay and some things that weren't, and that made it harder to draw lines. 
But I think the the real answer to your question, why did people go along with it, is because they have been trained for a century now in the United States to look to government to to be their nurturer and their protector and their supplier and their provider. The, the, it's, there's this psychology that is developed around the regulatory welfare state that says – Government is here to protect me, and that's what government exists to do. Now, you that's and I what think scared me. Yeah, exactly. That's what scared me. For instance, you know, they they had the the, the dust up in uh, L.A. County where they were making. They said no outdoor dining, and 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 somebody said, "Hey, so show us any proof that we can't eat outdoors." What you've got to back that up? People just people just took you know the local county health commissioner's word for these things. And then did things like build a, a tent outside that then they closed all the sides of it, which means it's not even really right. an outdoor. Yeah. What's the difference? Yeah. No, a lot of it was really insane. And I think a large part of it is because we have really, especially in California, I think, drilled into people this idea that government is, is your, your protector and your provider. And that's a, it's, a, it's deprived people of the imagination to allow them to understand what liberty is. Yeah, that's what that's what troubles me the most is that we were so trained for so long that people just said, oh, I guess the school should be closed, even though I haven't heard any good reason for it. Maybe now would people be people do this all the time. Ahead. They say, well, how, if government didn't do it, who would? And it, it's inca- they're incapable of thinking, well, maybe private industry could come up with a better solution to these problems. Well, that sort of reminds me of back in when the illegal immigration was an even hotter topic and people said, who's going to pick the lettuce? And our answer was always somebody or nobody or a machine. Let's find out. <laughs> anyway, perhaps and, now know, is a good gets, time to... I'm sorry, Tim, we're, we're like completely out right. of time. Uh, no, that's okay. Uh, maybe now's a good time to uh, plug the Permission Society, uh, Tim's book that was inspired by conversations on this show. Uh, it's very good, and it's all about liberty and uh, how we've kind of lost our sense of it. Tim Sandifer, the Goldwater uh, uh, Foundation. Thanks a million, Tim. Thank you, guys. You still have your beard? Uh, t- going on 10 years now, yeah. Wow. 10 years wow. you've had your beard. Wow. That's wow. a good old beer. <laughs> oh, it is indeed. Armstrong and Getty. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, Tanner girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 